Hey everyone, I'm David Torsivia. I'm Daniel Forkner. And this is Ashes Ashes, a podcast about everything terrible in the world and all the good things we can do to help fix them. Today we're going to be talking about net neutrality. It's a very relevant discussion to something that's going on right now. And we want to highlight what it is and why we should be concerned. And our apologies if you're listening to this after this upcoming vote, December 14th, that happens. We here are hopeful that things will go in favor of net neutrality. But uh, we're not optimistic, to say the least. And we'll talk about that, why that's the case in just a little bit. So, Daniel, what is net neutrality? In order to understand what net neutrality is, David, I think it's important to start with what is the Internet in the first place? Well, as far as I can remember, according to everyone's favorite Internet expert, Al Gore, it's just a series of tubes. Is that right? <laughs> that's actually uh, pretty accurate. It seems very simple. but So if I have a computer, you can call it a server, and I put stuff on it, my content. I put a website that I want you to be able to look at and to visit. I need a way for you to connect to that. And the simplest way is to simply connect a wire from my computer server to yours. And that provides a direct connection. Of course, if you're in a different country or you're very far away, I don't have the ability to connect us through wires. So I can hire this company, an internet service provider that has already laid these networks down, these networks of wires and switches and relays, and they will connect us automatically. And that's ultimately all the internet is. It's a connection between my server and your server. And the ISPs allow us to scale that to millions of servers and billions of computers. Well, that seems to make sense. And that seems very straightforward when you put it that way. So, I mean, I guess the ISPs are just, uh, since I'm not going to run a cable across the country or, or across continents, uh, the ISPs have done that for us, and they charge us access to the internet, uh, and that's the the internet fees we pay, yeah? That's right. You as the consumer likely pay a internet service provider like AT&T or Comcast or Time Warner a monthly charge to access their internet network. And the content providers also pay a fee. These are the companies like Facebook that post their content on these servers, and they also pay internet service providers in order for you to access their content. And I want to point out that although the internet service providers are giving us a very valuable service, this kind of road from my server to your server, they're not actually creating anything. They haven't done anything particularly innovative. Maybe they've created a faster wire than one that was 10 years ago, and I guess we can consider that innovation. But they're not creating anything. They're simply the bridge between one computer and another computer. Okay, so we have the internet. You know, this is the connection that the ISPs provide for us between the servers that you or I or somebody else runs, whether that's Facebook or my grandma's computer. How does uh, net neutrality come into this? Like, what is what is this legislation about now that we understand exactly what the Internet is at a very basic level? Net neutrality is the fact that we as consumers can access the entire Internet openly without discrimination in terms of what we access and how we access it. Because these internet service providers are classified under the FCC's Title II of its Communications Act as common carriers. And what that means is that because they are simply conveying a good from point A to point B, in this case the good is information, they should not be able to discriminate or regulate that information. Their job is simply a transporter. But that sounds like a good thing, Daniel. Why would these ISPs be fighting this the reason why internet service providers don't want net neutrality is because if you take away this common carrier classification, it gives them the ability to charge for different types of information and to treat different types of information discriminately. 
And what that ultimately means is higher profit margins. Wait, even higher profit margins? This is an industry, as far as I know, especially when the lines have already been built out, that has profit margins surpassing 97%. I mean, that's amazing. Other industries, corporations will kill for that kind of profit. What more could they possibly be looking for? What are they going to do with all this extra income? Well, that's interesting. These internet service providers are telling us that if they can raise their profit margins, they can reinvest some of that money into their networks to give us faster access, for example, or other innovative services. Of course, it is a little bit problematic to your point that they're already making a 97% profit margin. Why can't they just reinvest some of that money already? Yeah, and and to interrupt you even more there for a second, these ISPs don't have a very good track record when it comes to investing huge sums of cash that they're given into infrastructure improvements. And I mean, I, I see them out there. I see them building, you know, upgrading lines and stuff, and they definitely are doing something. But uh, I know in the record books, like we as the American people have given hundreds of billions of dollars to these ISPs, specifically for high-speed broadband build-outs, and they just never delivered. You know, I, I think I, the number that I remember seeing in these discussions um, and Scandal is the word that I see used a lot, is that we Americans have paid over $400 billion to these ISPs for promised upgrades that they just never delivered. And they just pocketed the money and said, thanks. And that's it. Like that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in me in what these companies are planning to do. Yeah. A lot of these ISPs took advantage of deregulation in the 90s that happened to cap some of their profit margins because of their monopoly powers. They said, if you take away some of the regulation on us, we'll reinvest money into our networks and provide all these amazing services. And we gave them that deregulation. They kept the money and their profit margins skyrocketed. I think at one point their profit margin was around 14%. And as we have slowly given more and more power to these companies, it's just risen to this extraordinary level of 97%. And a lot of these companies are telling us now, but if you let us charge for certain information, it will allow us to create these fast lanes so that some people will be able to have a faster internet. And because we can charge them a little bit more and they're willing to pay for it, they get to access the internet in this super speed fast lane that they're going to create for them. I, I have to interject here because fast lanes is something I keep hearing all these people talking about. And I mean, it just doesn't exist, right? So imagine all the available broadband as this huge highway, okay? And the only way to increase how many people can drive on this highway is by building more lanes, right? By physically expanding this highway. Uh, but that's not possible without, you know, spending a lot of money on construction, on building this new infrastructure out. And that's not something that they're talking about doing. They're talking about building fast lanes by slowing down everything else and making these fast lanes toll lanes, and so this is going to hurt everybody because in order to utilize this fast lane, you're going to have to pay more money. And uh, this, is, this is going to impact lots of small websites too, your favorite startups, uh, websites that can't pay this, this almost extortion fee from these ISPs are going to be impacted by this. And that seems anti-free market. That seems uh, anti-innovation. Um, and I'm not like a free market kind of guy, but even I have to admit like this is like a... Uh, Definitely not in everyone's best interest. It's interesting you bring up small business. Netflix is one of these companies that has always been a champion of net neutrality. But now that they've reached a certain size, they've suddenly changed their tune and they're no longer in support of it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Like These companies 
they realize that that they have the cash reserves the market clout that they can force they can use this this fast lane as a way to stifle innovation from possible upcoming competitors uh, who would have to either pay more money initially precious startup money in order to be able to compete on this lane or or just have an inferior service to these big dogs so it ends up acting sort of like a reinforcing the monopoly of these startups on the internet and while some some of these big companies like publicly say that they're for net neutrality companies like google in other countries like uh, india just had a big net neutrality debate um or they decided to enforce it and, and preserve it but companies like facebook and google were, were really fighting against this because they are huge companies with deep pockets and any sort of net neutrality repeal that makes the process of serving content to us consumers more expensive benefits these market incumbents because they have the financial reserves in order to to afford this and the startups uh, industry suddenly becomes much more expensive and that innovation becomes much more expensive when we start stifling that american tech entrepreneurial scene which is one of the most important parts of our our country's industry yeah i think a big cohort of tech startups these smaller companies have come out together in all support of net neutrality because they won't be able to compete with these big monopolies that will be able to stifle some content providers that they don't agree with and really control the flow of information yeah so uh, i mean i'm still looking for these non-insidious reasons that pr and politicians are telling us we don't need net neutrality and i'm really struggling to find them so like uh, if somebody out there has just a really great reason that i haven't thought of i would love to hear it but uh, for the moment, it just seems like it's a it's a way to reinforce these market monopolies and squeeze even more money out of us consumers. So how did we get here? I mean, we did mention the the four hundred billion dollars that these internet service providers have stolen from us in the form of promised upgrades that they never did in exchange for deregulation. I mean, is it just that they have nowhere else to turn in terms of deregulation or tax breaks that they have to break down net neutrality in order to extract more profit from consumers? Well, I mean, I think we need to examine, too, like how these ISPs became such uh, monopolies and that they're able to squeeze through these things in political force and have this much power. A lot of this relates back to when cable companies were first starting and when we were building out the Internet and upgrading phone lines as a whole. So there was this thing called the um, cable franchise fee, which was a, a tax, sort of, that local municipalities would charge to cable companies uh, in order to be able to build out lines in their area. And and there was a lot of quid pro quo stuff going on like now. Like, if you let us run cables in your little tiny town, then uh, we'll, like, wire up your schools for free and give your schools, you know, free TV. Uh, we'll build, like, a little TV station for your your local government. All these, like, little, like, nice perks that these ISPs, or they weren't ISPs yet, but these cable companies would give to these municipalities in exchange for exclusive rights to this place. And sometimes it was literally enshrined that this is the only company that's allowed to operate here. Um, a lot of those things were found illegal or questionable, and there's some legislation has come in that prevented that from happening anymore. But instead, what they've gone is added all these permits and restriction process that you have effective monopolies in these municipalities even today. And so this cable franchise fee you still see on your TV cable bill, the cable companies just pass it on from the government to you. So you're basically paying the government in order to allow cable companies to, to string up their wires and lines, which is kind of a roundabout way of passing on this tax, uh, which is another way that we are paying the cable companies for all this stuff. But the legacy of this franchise fee and the partnership with the municipalities in order to do this initial network build-out is what has left us in so many places where there's only maybe one cable company 
uh, one internet company that we have to choose from. 51% of Americans only have one choice of broadband provider. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. And so these discussions about like free market and, and stuff just really don't apply here because for most people, if you want internet, you have one, maybe two choices. And usually the second choice is significantly slower, significantly more expensive and not a real option. And I guess also for most Americans, satellite internet is also a possibility. But again, that's very expensive. It's very slow. There's heavy bandwidth restrictions. Uh, and it just doesn't make financial sense compared to the internet that we were promised when we paid all these ISPs companies to build it for us. It's, it's sort of frustrating, and it prevents us as consumers from being able to do anything uh, in the market to fight these predatory practices. This is why companies like Comcast or Charter can get away with being some of the worst companies in America, in the world, voted year after year, to have such terrible customer service, treat us like crap, not give us the stuff that they promised us, but still get away with it, and we just have to keep subscribing because... We just don't have a choice. And that's anti-competitive. That's anti-free market. So it sounds like even though the net neutrality vote is pending, there's still a lot of ways we're being negatively impacted by the broadband industry today. So a lot of these things are still in play. Like I mentioned, where we still mostly have just one or two options in most places for this internet. The, the market is very, uh, there's not a lot of saturation. There's not a lot of competition. But let, let's turn the discussion back net neutrality related. That brings us to this vote that's coming up on December 14th, this FCC vote on whether we're going to keep net neutrality or we're going to dismantle it and allow these companies to go forward with regulating the information that comes through the internet. So how exactly is this vote going to be structured and who all is involved? Well, it's a very small council. Your senators, your representatives don't have any say on this. You can call them all you want and they can try and influence people, but they actually have no real vote. So it's really out of our hands at this point as voters, as uh, people of America. And it's in a very small group of hands of people who are appointed. So the head of this vote is Ajit Pai, who was actually appointed by Obama. This is not just a Trump legacy that's going on, but this is Obama's appointee. Uh, he is the single head proponent trying to kill this net neutrality. And he, along with a small board of other people, get to make this choice. And uh, we really have nothing to say. We can call, we can complain, we can write letters, but ultimately it's out of our hands at this point, which is why we are less than optimistic that come this vote, uh, it's not going to go in the way of the consumer, instead favoring the ISPs with the repeal of net neutrality in Title II. If Title II does get repealed and we see the breakdown of net neutrality, where are we going? I mean, what's it going to look like for me as a consumer and maybe for you as a content provider? Well, uh, there's a lot of things and we, we don't exactly know what the ISPs have planned. They say they're not going to change anything, but they spent hundreds of millions of dollars lobbying for the repeal of net neutrality. So we know that they desperately want this done. And they, why would you spend that much money not to do something? And so we can imagine a, a lot of the things that could happen. And frankly, none of them are good. The basis of that all this is built off is that now your internet traffic doesn't all have to be treated equal. So what does that mean? It means a lot of things. And some of the troubling things about it that we've seen in other countries that don't have net neutrality is that consumers have to pay for all the basic internet services that they have come to rely on. So for example, in Portugal, you want to access social applications like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. That's going to be five euros per month. You want to be able to access Gmail. That's going to be five euros a month. You want to be able to access your favorite video streaming services, Netflix, Hulu. That's going to be an additional five euros per month. 
And maybe you have some business applications as well. That could be another charge. You want to use a VPN to keep yourself private. That's going to be 20, 30, 40 euros per month. And so that's just one aspect of this that will affect the consumer in terms of your wallet. So you're saying, I already pay, you know, 50, $100, whatever for internet. Now they want to charge me in addition to that packages. This sounds a lot like cable television, which is everyone's least favorite way of pricing out things like, I already pay for the the television, but you want to add all these extra packages so I can visit these other channels. But you're trying to do this with websites? Like I have a Facebook fee. I have a Netflix fee. I already pay Netflix for this. Why am I paying again in order to access something that I already pay for? That seems crazy. But I guess this is that's the kind of thing that, that the repeal of net neutrality enables. And it's not just that they can charge you, David, for using Facebook. They can also charge Facebook more money for providing that content. So imagine AT&T has a video service that they want people to use because they're trying to get into the television business. Or Hulu, which is owned by Comcast, right? Right. And they don't like Netflix because it's a competitive service. So these internet service providers can just charge Netflix a lot more and charge a lot less or even nothing to use their own video streaming services. And you can see how that can affect the competitiveness of especially small businesses and people who are trying to compete with these internet service providers that are diversifying their business interest into some of these internet services. Yeah, this sounds really anti-competitive to me. So you're saying that if I have a new startup, I want to be able to access my consumers. I might have to pay AT&T for the right for people who already want to see my product or my content or whatever. I would have to pay them in order to get access to the consumer who also has to pay them to get access to me. Sounds just like maybe a couple steps short of extortion, but I'm not a lawyer. But a thought occurs to me also while I'm thinking about this, if they can control, you know, like uh, how much you paid in order to access these websites, does that mean they can just completely block access to anything they want? They can. Yeah. For example, a lot of these Internet service providers have terrible track records when it comes to customer service. Let's say I create a website where I want to say, oh, Comcast gave me bad customer service. Comcast could just say, we don't want to show that website on the Internet. No one can access it. And that's huge implications for our freedom of speech and our sense of democracy when you can just silence a voice that doesn't agree with your business interests. Yeah, this seems like to me the absolute most important part of this, the ability of these networks to censor what we see and for you not even to realize that this thing isn't there, isn't available for you, seems really scary, really dangerous. Uh, Say, you know, I want to say something critical about Comcast like you bring up. Uh, they can just block that, erase it from the internet. But say now, like another piece of legislation comes along that wants to bring back net neutrality, and uh, there's information online about it, telling people how to organize and do it. They can just block access to this website, uh, and that that easy information, that flow of information, telling people how to do something that might benefit them but potentially hurt the cable companies, is just going to be inaccessible. That's dangerous. That's terrifying. And that's, I think, should be by itself enough reason to keep net neutrality, even if it has other benefits that, that we're not seeing. Uh, the negatives here are just really quite terrifying. Yeah, I agree. I definitely don't want to see net neutrality go away. Is there anything I can do? I feel like it's just four or five people in this committee that are doing this vote on December 14th. I feel a little bit powerless, to be honest. Well, like I just mentioned, there are websites of people organizing to to fight this this net neutrality takedown. This has been going on for a while. This is not the first attempt to get rid of this. This is the second or the third or the fourth, maybe. I'm, I'm not even sure at this point. It seems like we keep killing it, 
uh, we win a little victory. And then six months later or a year later, this comes back again under a slightly different name or a different technique. And they try and kill it again. Battle for the Net, for example, is one of the big websites helping people call their representatives, call legislators, organize, uh, get in direct contact with the GPI, and to have their voice be heard to say that, you know, please don't do this. This is bad for me as a, as a consumer, bad for me as an American, and bad for America as a whole, uh, outside of a handful of ISPs. And these have really been rallying points. We've seen lots of websites have basically online protests about this with slowdowns of their websites in order to simulate what might happen under net neutrality, uh, censorships to block out uh, information to, to show what these, these ISPs could do. There's been a lot of interesting digital activism that leads to this like actual legislative process contacting our politicians and saying, please help us. But at the same time, there's been a lot of fighting back. There's uh, the FCC asked for comments on the repeal of this. The ISPs or somebody uh, flooded these open comments with over a million fake comments in support of repealing net neutrality. People have gone and shown that these were fake. In fact, it's gone up to the Attorney General that this needs to be investigated. And and, uh, the Attorney General declined to. And several states' Attorney Generals have come together and say that this is wrong. This is clearly a crime that's being committed. But we're ignoring it because it's politically expedient to do that. So uh, there is a, a political process going on. You can do this, though. By the time you hear this show, this this particular battle might be over. But the technique of these ISPs and these politicians are to just keep doing this over and over and over again until eventually they just wear us down and that we can't fight it anymore and we give up and they can finally repeal net neutrality and they can introduce whatever private regulations they want on the Internet free from the government saying you must treat all information equal and give everybody equal access. And even if someone is going to be hearing this after this vote takes place, like you said, David, this is an ongoing fight. And I think we can take some lessons from this and some takeaways that go beyond just this episode that we're going to be talking about a lot in this podcast. This is really a problem of systems. It's a problem of the market. It's a problem of the local municipalities. It's the problem of our our larger government that's at the vanguard of this decision to take down net neutrality. And we want to point out a lot of problems with our current system on this podcast. You know, we've talked about climate change issues. We've talked about surveillance and corporate technology problems. I think it would be easy to be critical in saying, it sounds like we're just complaining about everything and not really offering true solutions. But really what we would like to get across is that we need to recognize that the context for these problems is a broken system. And although we can offer little band-aids here and there, you know, electing a better politician who has our interests in mind, ultimately, this is a problem of a system that is focused on short-term incentives that leads to these types of corporate practices of extracting as much profit as possible with no accountability and with no care for what the people actually want. Yeah, I mean, this this at every level, at, at local municipality, is a failure of government. At the federal level, it's a failure of accountability for our politicians. In terms of the market, this is a failure of capitalism, saying that these monopolies, these massive incumbent companies, both the ISPs and these huge uh, tech companies like Netflix, like Facebook, like Google, it's in their best interest to do things good for them, but bad for us as consumers. And that's a failure of the system. There's nothing that can be fixed about that. It's about looking for alternatives or introducing regulation, but those are just band-aids and, and not going to happen in the way that the government is set up right now, which is, again, a failure of that political system. So we need to start looking at alternatives. There are people doing radical alternatives, in, in, in especially in, in the Internet. You see um, decentralization, the introduction of mesh networks, so neighborhood mesh networks. You build a little bit of antenna, 
you put it out your window and you can connect to your neighbors directly and you build these like neighborhood internets that that are they have information you can surf it you can browse things and then browse the real internet as well uh, maybe we'll start seeing introductions of these as the actual internet becomes too expensive becomes too censored and becomes even more of a place of political and corporate control i would love to see a future like that but time will tell and i hope we can all be a part of that progress and those forward-looking solutions so this has been a, a kind of short episode, but we wanted to talk about this very topical thing. Uh, we might do more of these in the future, but we've also got many more major topics lined up that aren't going anywhere, and we hope you'll be tuning in for that. If you want to read anything more about what we talked about today, about the, the $400 billion scandal, about the municipalities, about Netflix, we have all these links and more on our website, ashesashes.org. You can find this episode just under the simple name Net Neutrality. You can also follow us at all your favorite social networks at Ashes Ashes Cast. And try to access those before the ISP start charging more for them. And if you like this show, share it with a friend. And if you didn't like this show, share it with an enemy. Thanks for listening. Bye. This is Ashes Ashes.